Good evening, good evening. This is the lovely podcast, God's Holy Word. Um, I wanted to go ahead and start on the second chapter of Exodus because I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, I really want to go ahead and look at the next chapter. And just FYI, next time remind me to not drink a bunch of coffee before doing a podcast because I think it made me kind of hyper because I'm not used to drinking a lot of caffeine, but... I'm trying out um some coffee that I really like and it's amaretto flavored coffee beans and I think that it made me a little hyper cuz I definitely felt it. But anyway, so next time remind me on that one. Mental note for me. And also I wanted to give uh, my listeners some wonderful news. I received a new Bible in the mail today. I really love it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um it's the King James version and For years and years I could not stand this version because it was it's written in Elizabethan style and one of the reasons why I I did not like it for the longest time was because we don't speak that way. We don't speak Elizabethan and also I just kind of felt like it wasn't a good translation for me for a long time, but something told me to look up this Bible and to take a look at it. And I went ahead and ordered it and it is absolutely beautiful. And I'll say this. Um I know there are a lot of preachers that they preach from the King James version and it was really bothering me and then I realized, okay, there's nothing wrong with the translation that I have found over the years. It must just it must just be my personal understanding of it and that I I need to get over that hurdle of the King James version. So I actually prayed for God to help me to understand this translation. and to actually enjoy it. And it was I guess I don't know sometime last week that um I found this Bible and it was reasonably priced and it's a huge Bible and it's beautiful. Um it has gold foil on the front of it and I ordered it online and I've been waiting to get it and I just thought you know maybe it's time to go ahead and get a King James version and just see how it goes. And what I love about this it has beautiful artwork in it and I love it has black and white um beautiful images in it. It almost reminds me of charcoal drawings cuz I love to do charcoal. And uh this Bible is printed by Barnes and Noble and it's a 2012 edition. It's really quite beautiful. And one thing I wanted to mention is that I always look at the front of all my books basically where it lists the copyright information cuz I like to see You know, where is it printed? When was it printed? What rights are reserved? That kind of thing. And what's fascinating about this one is that this entire Bible was printed and bound in China. And my mouth kind of dropped when I read that. And here's why: the Bible is not allowed in China right now. If if it's in China, it's underground. So, um, communist China is very much anti-God. very much anti-Christianity, very uh, anti-Israel, all those things that kind of have red flags to them. It's because they're communists and, you know, it's not the nicest country on the planet. But um I just find it very interesting that pretty much because of the North American Trade Agreement that was signed into law by Clinton, a lot of companies have been moving jobs over to China. and other countries as well but especially China because it's cheap slave labor. And what I find interesting about this is that their government over in China has outlawed Christianity, they have outlawed the Bible, but they're so desperate for money 
because they love money. Communists love money. They may say that you know, they don't like the rich. That may be true, but they just want the rich people's money. So, in this respect, I find it very interesting that the Bible is banned and considered a crime basically of treason right now over in China. If you have a Bible, but yet companies are printing the Bible over there in China, and they're able to do that because they're purchasing a business contract. And so what I find interesting is that I can only imagine what the workers over there who are pretty much slaves when they're doing this kind of work. I just wonder what they think about the product that they're making. And I guarantee you they are learning English and they are learning the holy word of God just by their job. I think that is so fascinating to me and it's such a an interesting way of God being able to reach people that you would think would not be reachable. But God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or think and this is a perfect example of that. We have a pretty horrible, awful communist country China that is horrible to its citizens. They don't want them to know about God because they don't want them to be free. They don't want true freedom over there. But yet they're so greedy for money, like they love money. And so because they have a love of money, they are willing to print and um create anything over there and part of this is the holy word of god so the very thing that they have banned from their country they are actually printing for the united states and i guarantee you if this is being printed uh via the request of barnes and noble which is a pretty large company i guarantee you they are printing quite a few of these so if anything you know, i want to lift up a big prayer for the workers over in China especially the slave labor people that um that they come to know Christ and that they know that God loves them and he does not like their situation and he is going to free them one way or another he is going to free them and i ask that china no longer be communist but that to be a true democracy um be a republic and practice true freedom because what's interesting is that capitalists you know capitalism is really one of the best ways to go there it, uh, capitalism and democracy are my, are my two forms i would say of governances if you can pronounce it that way um to run a society because that's where you hope to have the most freedom so if we truly want what is best for somebody else then they would then we would want them to have a democracy and practice capitalism and also have a truly free market because at this point in China they don't have a free market only certain people are free they don't have a democracy they have communism which is a very horrible way to rule a country and they they restrict freedoms by making it so that people won't strive for freedom because they will constantly live in terror and that's how it is over there in China like unless you're super wealthy or come from a very wealthy family in China you're pretty much a peon you know there really is not a middle class in China you know they can say that there is but that is a lie and i know because i've met quite a few international students that came over to Oklahoma to go to school and you know they i mean i think these chinese students were very patient with us over here considering that You know there are so many American students that they just think, "Oh, I want to go to China. I want to see the Great Wall. It's such a wonderful culture." 
you know, they, it's Eastern medicine, and the, the Chinese students, the international students that are over here, they just look at these moron American students that just have their head in the, head in the clouds, and these international students are like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Is the Great Wall a wonderful thing to see? Yes, but there are so many things that are wrong in China, and, you know, I remember meeting a couple people um, that they've been to China, They were like five or eight years younger than me, and um, you know they were still in school. I was already out of school in terms of college, and um, they just kept telling me, "Oh, Leslie, you don't know what you're talking about. China is a wonderful country." They were telling me all these great things. I was like, "Okay, but here's the thing: you went over there as a tourist, so you got to buy whatever you want. Like you basically got pampered because you had money." You were not treated the way they treat their citizens. I guarantee you, if they treated you the same way that they treat their own people, you would not have a very high opinion of um, the China and of their communist leaders. You just wouldn't. But they argued with me. These two morons. I'm just like, you guys are living in la la land. Like, you obviously don't read the news. You don't understand. international affairs you don't understand how that country is run because they thought that because it was great that, how I word this they thought that because their vacation was great that the country must be perfect and better than the United States and I'm like you were only in the areas of the country that their government allowed you to see you're not looking behind the curtain because that's where the truth is but anyway um, I just thought I'd mention that because um, I got this beautiful Bible and I've been reading it and you know what God has opened my heart to this translation because I I absolutely love it like I'm not I don't feel intimidated anymore by the wording um, by the Elizabethan style I love the artwork in it and it just has a beautiful poetical flow I love that so maybe for um, another series we can. Try uh, going with the King James version because you know every translation has its own uniqueness, and you can you can find that in any Bible. But I just thought I'd let you know that I got this really beautiful Bible, and just the interesting stuff about it being printed in China. You know, I um, again I, I lift up um, the Chinese citizens and that their slave labor stops and that they are truly free in everything that they do over there as part of their country. So, but anyway, um, let's go ahead and get back to the New International Version. And this is the Leadership Bible, and I'm going to read from Exodus chapter two. So this is talking about the birth of Moses. So it says, "Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no more," She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket amongst the reeds and sent her female, ser- sorry, female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you?" "Yes, go," she answered. 
So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you." So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, "I drew him out of the water." One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, "Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?" The man said, "Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian?" Then Moses was afraid and thought, "What I did must have become known." When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked them, "Why have you returned so early today?" They answered, "An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds." He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Raoul asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man, who gave his daughter Sipora to Moses in marriage. Sipora gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, "I have become a foreigner in a foreign land." So let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. This is really interesting because it's showing. the beginning of Moses's life and if you think about it it jumps through a lot uh, or passes over several years of his life because it goes from him being a baby to being a grown man to fleeing from Egypt for his life to going out to the desert to finding a wife and then um they having a child so you're seeing probably the thir- the first 30 to 40 years of his life just in this short chapter. And just so you know, there are many accounts of Moses. Many, many, many. There were several records of him not just in the Bible, but by other scholars and other writers at the time. So let's go back to the beginning here. And one of the things that I underlined and that really got my attention this time reading this was it said that you know it's talking about his mother it says she hid him for 3 months you know that takes a lot of guts to hide your baby from pharaoh to hide your baby from soldiers the egyptian soldiers when you know that they want your child dead because he's a male child so she was literally risking her life for her baby so it says here she hid him for 3 months but when she could hide him no longer She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Those are the two substances that they used as well for brick and mortar and for other items within their village. And what I find interesting is that she used some of the very same goods or the very same materials that are normally used um in the Egyptian labor force or the or the Hebrew labor force to um help the Egyptians with their city but she used those elements those materials to help save her child which i found very interesting 
So God will give you what you need to get through your situation is what I got out of that. And it that it's I look at it this way, it's not over till God says it's over and even then he makes exceptions to the rule all the time. And he did that here with Moses big time. It says here, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. You know, I think that takes a lot of courage for a mother to put her baby, you know, a very loving relationship there. She loves her child, but she knows that if she keeps him where they are, he will for sure be slaughtered. So she puts him in a basket and puts him out on the River Nile, and she is having faith in God that he is going to take care of her son. And I mean that takes courage. I mean, if you think about it, that would be like let's say let's say you give birth um in one of our national parks in the United States and you are near a raging rapid and something's going on in the country and you have to uh help save your baby from being killed. So you literally put him in a basket and send him down a river in a national park and you have no idea where he's going to end up. You have no idea if an animal is going to eat your child. You have no idea if he's going to end up in a weird person's house or if he will drown in the river. Those are the exact same thoughts that were probably going through this mother's mind. But even though she may have had those thoughts, she did not acknowledge those thoughts because it's not written here. It didn't say, "Oh, she had a freak out panic moment. She cried, she bawled, she begged God." It doesn't say that at all. If anything, it gives a very clear impression that she trusted God even in her her situation that was really hard on her. She trusted God completely because she literally put her child in a basket and floated him down a river and just so you know the Nile River was a very dangerous place like when we think of Egypt we think of luxury we think of gold we think of pyramids and palm trees but you know the river Nile was a dangerous place even for the Egyptians they had um crocodiles they had hippopotami um there were scorpions in the land so she was literally sending her child out into the wilderness in the natural it would look like to die But in the supernatural, she knew that God was going to take care of her child and provide for him. So then it goes on to say, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. So if you think about it, Pharaoh's daughter, she was more than likely childless. She wanted a baby, and so she had this baby pulled from the Nile. And if you think about it, her attendants knew about this. her servants knew this was a hebrew baby i find that very interesting that her servants remained quiet i mean how loyal are these servants that they didn't rat on her to pharaoh but they actually were okay with her having this child and taking him into the palace cuz i mean if you think about you know attendants back then you know we're not talking about maids and butlers and things like that an attendant back then in egypt was someone that was maybe a couple of hierarchies above a slave because they were still a slave but they were not a hebrew slave they you know the egyptians had slaves from all all countries like slavery is nothing new so these people that or these women that were her attendants 
they were not completely 100% Egyptian in that respect because they were her attendant. So more than likely they had a special armband around their arm or they were tattooed that signified that they were a servant and they were not a free citizen. They were not 100% Egyptian. So they were in a different class of people. They may not have even been citizens of Egypt. They were just serving the pharaoh's daughter. So then it goes on to say another part I underlined was down here um in verse 11 and part of it it says he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people. So Moses went out and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and it says here one of his own people. So this implies that at this point in time he's a grown man. He's technically still in the palace of Egypt. He's still in the palace of Pharaoh, but somehow he knows that he's a Hebrew. He's Israelite. And so he's out there amongst his people and he sees one of his people being beaten by an Egyptian and it angered him. And he murdered this Egyptian, thinking that he could go ahead and help his people get out of slavery, but he did not do it in sync with God. You know, when we are in alignment with God and we're doing his will and we're following his word, then we will not fail. But if we put the cart before the horse, bad things happen and that's what happened here. Moses took it into his own hands, literally, and was trying to help his people. He had very good intentions, very good intentions, but nevertheless, he murdered someone, which is completely wrong. Like just because you have good intentions that doesn't excuse you from the arm of the law and so that what ha- that's what happened to Moses um when killing the egyptian and then he realized that was the wrong thing to do and it really hit him hard when his own people kind of turned on him and said hey we know you killed that guy and you're trying to tell us what to do so word had spread and what i find interesting is that You know, Moses, he he must know that he's Hebrew because he defended this Hebrew. I just wonder why he didn't take it up with God and ask him, "Hey, what can I do? What should I do? I'm scared." They know about, you know, the the guy that's dead in the desert, you know, where can I go? What can I what can I do? But instead of talking to God about it and praying, because he would have known who the Hebrews praise. and who they who they worship he would have known that they worship the one true god they do not worship any of these idols so what i find interesting is that it doesn't mention here in the bible that he went to god to ask him for help if anything it says he got scared and he made a run for it. he had to flee for his life otherwise pharaoh was going to kill him because the word was out that he was hebrew and he killed an egyptian and he had to run for it. He was no longer considered a prince of Egypt. He was considered a slave of the Hebrews. So which is going from the palace to the pit. But then we see that Moses went from the pit to a different type of palace out the wilderness. The next thing I underlined was um it's in verse 16. So it says now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Verse 17 says, some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. You know, I think that's very interesting that even though Moses was on the run, he did the right thing by defending these women. 
And here's another thing, you know, based on the Ten Commandments, the the movie, word was out that an Egyptian um, had been kicked out of Egypt because he murdered somebody. So the word was out. I don't know how far it got into the wilderness, but what's interesting is that even though Moses was scared and he fled for his life, he defended this these women, and he protected them. Because he knew that these shepherds that were trying to push them out of the way and take over that well, he knew that what that shepherd was doing was wrong. And so he, he. What's interesting is it doesn't say he killed the shepherd. It just says that he defended these women. So what you have to remember is that back in these times, well water was very much fought over, and whenever you owned a well, typically you would put the symbol of your father. Or of your kinsmen on your well, and so it would act as a marker, almost like branding your sheep or your cattle. So what was happening was these shepherds were trying to steal water from this well, even though it belongs to this priest of Midian and his daughters and their flocks. However, that did not stop these other shepherds from trying to act like thieves. So even though Moses was a murderer at this point. He had murdered somebody. He was on the run. He still came to these women's rescue because he knew that what these guys were doing was wrong. And here's the thing: Moses or uh, God forgave Moses for what he did, because later on God called Moses out of the wilderness to go back to Egypt and get his people out. So it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes you can go from the palace to the pit, from the pit to the palace. But God never forgets you. He loves you always, but He always wants you to do His will. You know, whenever we get out of alignment, that's when we have a lot of problems in our life, and that's what happened with Moses. And I think sometimes, you know, we forget how do I word this that you know there is a possibility that if Moses had not killed that Egyptian. He could have gone to the throne, been the next Pharaoh, and freed all of his people. But but because he did it the wrong way, he had to flee for his life. Like he committed a sin, a pretty grave sin. He killed somebody, even though it was probably a horrible person. It doesn't matter. Just because someone's horrible or evil, it doesn't give anyone permission to murder them. It's one thing to defend yourself. It's a, it's completely different to murder somebody, and that's what happened here with Moses. He murdered he murdered somebody. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he definitely was not. And all he had to do was wait on God's timing, wait on on God to give him the guidance and to let him know what he should do. But he did not wait. He got impatient. He got angry. He got irritated, and he acted out in a way that was not holy. Because when you act out in a way that's not holy, God is not going to reward that. So that's one reason why Moses had to run for his life, and he spent so many years out in the desert. And one of the reasons why he had to spend so much time in the desert is because our heavenly Father had to help him grow into the messenger and into the deliverer that he needed to be in order to free God's people. Because God knew that Moses, he did not have the ability at this particular moment to do the right thing and to help free his people. He had to wait. He had to had to grow. 
And what we say sometimes is, you know, God will prune you almost like a rose bush. He will he will cut off the dead stuff so that way you can bloom in other areas of your life. Well, that's what God was doing with Moses when he was out in the desert. He very much was pruning him and helping him to be patient, helping him to understand God's will. And plus, you know, later on we'll see that Moses was near the holy mountain. So God was calling him to a higher calling, to to a higher state of being in a way and I don't mean like you know necessarily levitating or anything like that. What I'm talking about is that when God has a calling on your life and you're answering that call, even when you make a mistake, he is still going to call you to holiness. And that's what we see here. Moses made a pretty big mistake. It, you know, if we stopped here at chapter 2, and we didn't go further we would think that nothing good is ever going to happen to Moses and the the Israelites are never going to be freed from Egypt but that's not what happened god continued to call Moses to holiness and he helped him to grow in holiness and in wisdom while he was out there living in the desert and here's another thing just because someone lives in a desert that doesn't mean they're poor or forsaken or that god has forgotten them because you have to remember that Moses married into a pretty wealthy family You know there are different types of wealth. There's wealth when you think of like living in a palace, but then there's wealth when you're living by a whole bunch of palm trees and you own a whole bunch of flocks, a whole bunch of herds. Like that is a lot of wealth in terms of livestock. So that's what I was talking about when Moses goes from the palace to the pit, the pit to the palace. No two palaces are the same, but in order to get to his next palace, he had to go to the pit because God had to prune him. God had to change his heart. God had to help him grow in holiness. And so that's why God was calling him to the holy mountain to help him grow in that responsibility because what they always say is that you know with with power comes great responsibility. And if you have great responsibility, you have to have a lot of endurance. You have to be able to handle it. So one of the reasons why God kept Moses in the desert was to help him realize hey he needs to change a little bit he needs to grow in some areas before he can you know be God's messenger and be the deliverer for his people cuz here's another thing God's never going to put you in a situation that you can't handle he will never give you more than you can bear even when we make mistakes he will never give us more than we can bear and we see that here When God kept Moses in the desert for a pretty long time, and he did that so that first of all his life would be spared, he would not be killed by the Egyptians, he would not be executed for a capital punishment. Number 2, he needed to rest. He needed to rest because he had just walked all that desert, had defended these ladies from these really bad shepherds, but also he needed to learn how to act how were this basically like a man cuz there's a difference between acting like a um, a pharaoh and just a normal everyday guy. So if you think about Moses went from thinking he was, you know, pretty hot stuff and wealthy because he was hot stuff and he was wealthy, but then he got dethroned. So then God had to humble him, I guess in a way. but also bring him up in a humble manner. And I don't mean humble as in like Moses was arrogant or pompous because he wasn't. 
you know, Moses was a very good man, but when you're going from one lifestyle and you're changing to the complete opposite, there's a transition there. And it's a good thing that Moses knew that he was Hebrew. It's a good thing that he was longing for a change in his life and he wanted to draw closer to God because he wanted to know basically he's asking himself what is my destiny what is my future I mean how scary would that be that you go from living a high life you know let, let's say you go from living in Hollywood to making millions of dollars and then you lose it all and you're on the run for your life for whatever reason and you end up um let's say you're in Hollywood and then you end up in Oklahoma in some small dinky town that's what it would be like <laughs> it really would i am from oklahoma and i'm not dissing oklahoma but i'm just giving an analogy that when you go from the richness of like hollywood or beverly hills and you lose everything and you have to leave whether for shame condemnation whatever the case may be and then you end up in like a small town oklahoma those are two totally different lifestyles two totally different ways of living and there's a transition so You know, let's say for example, you know, you're super wealthy and you live in California. You know, let's say you live in Beverly Hills, you're used to being surrounded by really beautiful people and you're used to having all these swanky parties and you're number 1 and you're very popular, you have all these friends and then it just all and all falls apart, all falls apart. And let's say you lose your house, you lose your friends. And because you don't have your money anymore, your friends that you think are your friends no longer want to be around you because they're just using you for your money. So then let's say you basically lose your career and you basically have to leave and you find yourself in Oklahoma, like a small town, and you're wondering, what am I going to do with my life? That's exactly how Moses felt. And so I would think that if someone used to live in Beverly Hills or LA, whatever the case may be, and they move out to Oklahoma, There's going to be a pretty large transition there because if you think about it, they're going to be wearing different kinds of clothes, they're going to be speaking a different kind of way. You know, they might be wearing, you know, different types of colognes, I don't know. I mean, I think colognes are sold everywhere, but you know, I can always tell, I'll put it this way, you know, sometimes I travel for work and I can tell when I'm sitting next to someone that's from a different part of the country just by the cologne or perfume they're wearing. Because, you know, there are different regions in the United States where people buy a lot of the same goods. And that's why I love meeting different people because you get to see um what kind of stuff they buy, how they talk, their accent, their background. And also, I love perfumeries. Like I love colognes, I love perfumes, so I always notice when someone's wearing a different type of cologne or perfume, and I almost always ask, "Where did you get that? What is it? What are the notes? Where are the classical notes?" And um that they have these different words to describe um the layers of the notes but um i always ask that cuz i can always tell when i'm sitting next to someone that is from a different area of the united states or if they're from overseas that's another thing um europeans they have different types of colognes and perfumes because they have a lot of oil based colognes and perfumes they're not as heavily diluted with glycol alcohol like ours are because ours are more kind of semi aerosol whereas over in Europe they are not always like that unless they are buying a uh, American product and I learned that from taking a perfumery class as part of my job in retail and um I learned a lot and then when I was over in Italy um I got to shop at this one perfumery it was so beautiful I couldn't believe how beautiful this store was 
And um, I can't remember the name of the store, but it was on the Amalfi, um, the Amalfi Coast, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a shop that specialized in lemons. And they included this lemon scent in almost all their fragrances, whether they were for men or women. And it smelled so beautiful. And the soaps they had were just amazing. They were just, I didn't know there was such a thing as luxury bars of soap. They were unbelievably beautiful. They were super expensive, but they were unbelievably beautiful and they smelled just so beautiful. It was just heavenly. So my point is this, you know, if you're going from the palace to the pit, you're going to start to smell different. You're going to look different and you're going to act different and you're going to start talking differently because you're naturally going to adapt to your environment. And that's what happened here with Moses big time. He transitioned into a different lifestyle, but even though he was in a lifestyle that was out in the desert, he was still rich. He married a, a priest's daughter. I mean, how amazing is that, that he left a really bad situation and God blessed him with a beautiful wife. He blessed him with a wonderful father-in-law. He blessed him with a very successful company, basically, all these flocks and herds. And then God helped form him to be a, a super holy man so that he could free his people from, from the grip of Pharaoh. I mean, that is the goodness of God through and through, that God does not give up on anyone, on anyone, because God didn't give up on Moses. He didn't give up on King David. Um, he didn't give up on, I'm trying to think of some other Other interesting people in the Bible. Well, there were so many people he didn't give up on. Oh, he didn't give up on Hagar. And um, she had, she didn't willfully have a baby, but um, she she had a baby by Abraham. And her child's name was Ishmael. And even though she was run out of the house by Abraham's wife, she ran out into the desert. And her and her son were going to die from starvation and from dehydration She cried out to the Lord and she actually set her child underneath a tree. So and then she walked away from her kid and sat opposite of him because she didn't want to watch her child die. And, um, you know, the, the Lord spoke to her. And, you know, if not an angel, I'm trying to remember if it was if it was God or if it was an angel. I can't remember. But either way, even though Hagar had a very tough situation, he still remembered her. He still remembered her and her child and he knew her situation and he didn't he didn't throw her away. He didn't mistreat her or her son and he took care of them. So regardless of your situation, God will take care of you for sure. I mean, what I love about the book of Exodus is that it deals with so many things that are so serious, but it's one of those things that. It's part of our history. It's part of our faith. But this shows us the goodness of God. That even though things did not go as planned in terms of in Moses' eyes, God always has a backup plan for us. Always, always, always. Because he knows we're human. He knows sometimes we get overeager. Sometimes we get impatient and we want to do things our way. He always has a backup plan for us. And I love how he does that. Because here's the thing. 
Sometimes our failures are stepping stones to where we need to go and our failures show us what we need to work on in our hearts and our souls and 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 um in our mind. Cuz sometimes our mind is our worst enemy and how terrible is that? We don't like to think that way about our mind, but you know, failures, the way that I have learned to look at failure cuz I think Americans can be very critical um of ourselves because we're Sometimes we're kind of perfectionists and it and it can lead to just being very unhappy. But what I've learned to look at is when I fail at something, I've learned one way of how not to do something. So I've learned of what not to do and I know that I have another chance to do what's right. And that's how I apply that to my jobs. Like I know in the previous podcast I spoke about working in retail, but here's the thing, regardless of what industry you're in, you can apply these same principles that even if you fail get back up go to god don't run away from god run to god so what i find interesting with that is that even though moses was running from pharaoh he technically was running to god he was running to that holy mountain for his life because he knew if he did not run to god he would surely die and that's how we need to treat so many things in our life because even if we're not going to physically die from something we could experience spiritual death and that's why sin separates us from god is that it it causes a little bit and piece of us to die every time we sin but when we repent and go back to god and ask him for forgiveness god picks up all those pieces of our life He puts us back together. He heals our heart. He heals our soul, and he helps repair the negativity, or he helps to get rid of the negativity in our mind, and he renews our mind. And the way that we renew our mind is in his holy word, which is why I think this is a wonderful podcast to do, because I was, I was just thinking about, you know, if I was to do a podcast, what would I want to focus on? And immediately, I thought the holy word of God. Immediately. because i think there needs to be more podcasts out there and there needs to be more literature about the holy word of god because i know the holy word of god can help anyone at any time in their life it doesn't matter how old they are or what their past is or what their future is because here's the thing the past is the past you need to focus on your future regardless of what it is and give god a chance to work with you and to lead you into a better life because that's what Moses did. He may not have realized it at the time that he was running to God when he was running away from Pharaoh. But what's interesting is that sometimes excuse me, our fears will lead us um to God because he he feared for losing his life. So, you know, what's interesting is that he feared losing his life, but God preserved his life. And that's what God does for us regardless of our failures, regardless of our setbacks. God preserves our life. He never throws us away. He never says, "Oh, you're washed up. I can't forgive you." He never says those things. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. God always loves his children, and he loves it when he comes back to him because he's a loving father, and he never wants to turn his children away. So but anyway that is it for this lovely podcast. I pray that you have enjoyed um listening in on this second chapter of Exodus and just, you know, realizing that there are good tidings 
hidden all throughout the holy word of God. And it is meant for you and it's meant for me. And it is meant to help us on our journey to heaven because that's the ultimate goal is that when we pass away from this earth, which hopefully is when we're well past 100 years old, when we pass away from this earth, we want to go straight to heaven. And that's where I want to go. And I have no doubt that's where you want to go. And when you stand on the holy word of God and you believe in the holy word of God, you don't fear your fate. You don't fear death because you know that technically when you've given your life to Christ that you have died to your old ways. You've died to your to your old self and Jesus has risen you up, given you a new life through that resurrection. And so I encourage you if you are um if you are someone that has given their life to Christ or maybe you haven't given your life to Christ but you want to give your life to Christ and also get baptized baptism is a wonderful beautiful thing and i can't remember if i said this in a previous podcast but i personally got rebaptized this year and i'm 37 years old and i just felt it was time to get re- to get rebaptized because i was baptized initially when i was 16 but it was not my choice i was forced into it um i was raised in a different denomination one that i'm not going to mention um but it was technically christianity but technically not but um i was forced to get baptized and the reason why was because when i turned 16 i was told um that i could not drive unless i was baptized and so um i was waiting to get baptized until i could move away because I did not agree with the religion I was raised in because I knew it was wrong the the particular denomination I was raised in so I put off being baptized for many years but then that backfired on me cuz there was no way I could get a car and drive away to my new life or my next destination unless I got baptized um when I was 16 so it was a very emotional time for me getting baptized um cuz number one I was sick I had a fever and um number 2 I did not want my baptism to be public because I didn't really feel comfortable with it at the time and but unfortunately the people that were um in charge of this church they called up all these people and invited them and it really upset me because I didn't want other people to see this because I knew it wasn't real for me and that just made it feel worse like in all those years so basically for 21 years I felt like I was living a, a complete lie and i had had enough of feeling that way of feeling shame and feeling dread and i thought you know i know i've already given my life to christ i actually gave my life to christ when i was 6 or 7 years old i was really young and i remember when i gave my life to christ like i made that decision um but i put off baptism for the reasons i just said but then um come this year i i already knew i wanted to get rebaptized i had been wanting to get rebaptized for many years And so I had left the denomination I was raised in, I church hopped, and then I converted to another religion, another form of Christianity, and it was hell. Um it was not very positive for me, and I'm not going to say that denomination either, but needless to say, I joined that denomination thinking that I could get rebaptized, and then they didn't tell me until like right before I was going to be initiated into this religion. that oh we don't do um rebaptisms like we believe that one baptism is all that you need even if even if even if you didn't mean it god did and that really bothered me because i was like it it does matter if you mean it or not 
Because if you don't mean it, then technically you're kind of denying Christ in a way, and that really bothered me. So for several years, I was in that church, and then finally、um, it got so bad I had to leave. And so then I joined this other church, which has been very positive for me. And I specifically asked, "Do you do baptisms for people that need to be rebaptized?"、Um, because they were forced into something they did not want to do. And they said, "Yes." We 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 do that because we acknowledge that that is a problem within Christianity that some people are forced into baptism, whether they're a child or a teenager or a baby or an adult. Sometimes people are pressured into things that they would not、um, normally do, or that they did not want to do. And so I definitely took them up on that offer to get rebaptized, and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. Absolutely loved it. And I have pictures of it. I just am so pleased with that and so happy with it. But anyway,、um, if you need to find a church that will rebaptize you, please message me, and I'll do what I can to help you find a church that can rebaptize you. Because I think that is done on an individual basis. And plus, another thing, when I got but when I got baptized the second time, I wanted it to be public. I wanted it. To to be a part of the fellowship that I was experiencing with these good and kind people, whereas my previous baptism, I didn't want to be seen by anybody because I felt like a fake and a fraud. So you know, living with that for 21 years was really starting to wear on me. Even though、um, I knew that I, I was a good person and I was just trying to live my life, but sometimes when something is eating away at you, you have to address it because I just felt that that was. Separating me from God over time, just little by little, and I didn't want to have any of that dread me at all because I know that Jesus does not want me to feel that way. So,、um, if you are one of if you're one of the people that I'm thinking of or talking about that you were forced into a baptism that you did not want or maybe you don't remember, do get rebaptized because it is up to you. That is your special moment. That is between you and God. That is between you and Jesus. That is between That that is a very personal relationship because it's your personal faith journey. Yes, you are getting baptized within、um, the church, you know, the Christian faith. But your heavenly Father loves you as an individual. He doesn't love you as a group, you know. And that's what I was trying、um, to explain earlier in、um, one of the previous podcasts when we were reading through Genesis that, you know, God created us individually. He didn't create us. Uh, one group at a time, he created us one person at a time to be a part of the entire human race. So your journey is very individualistic. It is between you and God, and that's why it is so important to answer that call that God has on your life, regardless of what that call is. God is going to lead you to the best life ever, and sometimes the best first step you can do is cover all your bases first. And so, what I would suggest with that is to make a list of everything that's bothering you. And this is between you and your heavenly Father. It's it's not between anybody else. It's just between you and your heavenly Father. Make a list of all the things that are bothering you and take it up in prayer. And if you haven't prayed in a long time and you're nervous about, it, just say, God, help me. I I heard this woman on a podcast, and I like her idea to make a list of things that are bothering me. So I'm coming to you with this list. Please help me with each one of these items, and then I would just read off these items in prayer to God and just talk out loud like I am now. If you can, if you're living with other people or you're around other people and you don't want them to hear this stuff, 
Just do it privately in your head or in your soul, or maybe go to the bathroom and do that. Um, another thing you can do is you can take your list with you, you know, and just go to a park and sit, or um, you can go to a library and just, you know, be alone, you know, that kind of thing, and just let God speak to your heart. And you know, He takes those things seriously, and He loves to hear from us, and He will address all those issues with you and for you. That's the other thing. When you go to God with stuff, He's not there to condemn you. He's not there to hate you or to rebuke you. He's there to pick you up and say, "I am here for you. I am there for you, and I'm here for you. I love you. I, I always want you in my family." That's what God is going to say to you, because that's what He says to me whenever I go to Him with stuff. And it doesn't matter if it's something serious or something little. He takes everything seriously because He knows it's important to me. So, if He values the things that are important to me, He will value the things that are important to you. So again, if you if you're not sure how to pray, just say Jesus, help me with these things, or say God, you know, whatever the case may be, and just say, Lord, help me. I need to address these things in my life. I'm not sure what to do. Just when I think I know what I need to do or what I can do, it feels like I'm getting run over by a bus. I just don't know what to do. So whatever guidance you can provide me, I would greatly appreciate because I know you you know all things. And you love me. You love me more than anyone on the face of this earth. And I know that you created me in your image. So I come to you today. Please come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Please help me with these things in my life. And He will help you. God never says no. I mean, to me, that's a blessing right there because I can think of so many people that I asked for help with different things. And I was told no. And sometimes um, when people tell you no, it's because they can't handle it, or they don't know what to do, or they're just flat out mean and hateful. You know, whatever the case may be. But what I love is that by going through those situations that I went through, where people told me no, or they were a total jerk to me and turned their back on me, it just made me go to my heavenly Father even more. And then now I don't even bother going to people first. I go to my heavenly Father. Big time. I do that all the time now, and I'm so thankful I do that because when I go to my heavenly Father first, I don't have to worry about the repercussions of anything, and that feels weird because you know we're so used to feeling shamed and blamed. I think within Christianity and within the United States, we have a very tense lifestyle. But when you live in the goodness of God, He doesn't want you to be tense. So if you're living the true Christian faith. You're not going to live in shame and blame or in dread or in terror, because none of those things come from God. Those come from the evil one. Those come straight out of the depths of hell, because those are deterrents. Those are ways to distract us from the goodness of God. And we are not worms. We are men and women. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You know, we are creations of God. Like everything that God makes is beautiful, but especially us, especially the human race, like the Earth, the planet, the solar system, it was all made for us to be our home before we go to heaven. So while we're here on this Earth, it's important that we live in the goodness of God, so that way we can be our best representation of His love for us. Because sometimes the only Jesus that people may see is the Jesus that is in you and that is in me. And what a blessing it is to help others, to help other people realize they don't have to live in shame or guilt anymore. They they can be free of that, and they can live every day knowing that they are blessed, they are happy, and they are loved for always. I mean, forever. That means beyond death. Like even when we die, God still loves us, and He calls us His own. 
That's what makes human beings so unique is that we have a soul. So even when we die, we still live on. And we want to live on in heaven and no other place, I would hope. Because I want to go to heaven and I know I'm going to heaven because I've been through hell and I'm never going back. I don't ever want to experience those things again. And it's one of those things when you put your foot down and you draw a line in the sand, it's one of those things with me I never go back. I only push forward even if it sucks, even if it gets frustrating or even if it feels extremely stressful. All I do is I give that frustration and that stress, I give it over to God and I say, "Lord, this has come up. Please help me with this. I don't want to live with that." You know, I don't want to live feeling stressed and feeling burdened because I've already lived through that. Help me to live in the joy and happiness of your love. And he answers my prayer every single time. I can't think of a single time he told me no. I can't think of a, a single time that he did not come through. Every prayer I have prayed has come to pass. And it has if it hasn't come to pass immediately, it is on the way. Because I can tell when things have shifted in my world and things are getting better. Because you know, it's one of those things like once you say a prayer, and I know I've said this before, but once you pray a prayer, it's already being answered. It's just you're waiting to receive that answer. So that answer and what you want is already on the way. So you can take it to the bank that it is going to come to pass. Your life is good. God is good, and he's going to take care of you all the days of your life. So you have nothing to worry about. So from the moment you pray to the moment you get your blessing or the moment you you see your prayer come to fruition, we're supposed to walk in joy and peace and patience, which leaves no room for dread, fear, terror, or regret. So, but anyway, um I will go ahead and end this podcast. I thank you again for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Until until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole and that you're living in in the blessing of God and that you're loving every day of your life no matter what and if you're not, take it up in prayer. It will truly be a blessing to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Still 